Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday service message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Kristen Joan Wood. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you in your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the word of the Lord. Well, God bless you, and if you want to settle in and grab your Bibles and join me in Acts chapter 5, I want to continue our journey there for the next few minutes. So you can just settle in. The worship team will come back and join us in a few minutes, and so... Let's just settle in, grab your Bibles, everybody grab a cup of coffee, chill out a little bit and listen to the Word, amen? Now last, last week I kind of left you shocked, I think. We talked about a contrast that Luke gives us in the first portion of Acts chapter 5, the contrast between generosity and hypocrisy. And it was a rather shocking event that happened early in the in the, in the life of the church, the event of Ananias and Sapphira. And I hopefully I explained it to you as best as I understood it, what God was doing in that event, wanting to establish his church in holiness, wanting to root out of it at the very beginning hypocrisy. We see it all through the life of Jesus' teaching. He confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees with their hypocrisy, their religious hypocrisy, their pursuit of what they thought was God. In fact, it was just the rules of men. Jesus confronted it because he said there's no liberty in that. There's no freedom in that. And that's the thing I want you to hear so clearly, that generosity will birth a a pathway of freedom in your life like you've never experienced, whether it's generous with your resources or generous with your time or generous with your gifts and talents. Whatever your generosity finds itself doing, it will birth in you Freedom, freedom in the spirit, freedom in the Lord. But hypocrisy, that is putting on airs, trying to be somebody or act like somebody that you're truly not wanting to be. What Ananias and Sapphira did, they, they lied to the spirit of God, we're told. And as a result, they didn't have a good ending. And so this morning, we kind of pick up the story, and I know that's kind of a hard way to start a message, isn't it? Everyone's like, oh, man, Really? But it's the truth of Scripture, and remember what I said last week, that the script, Scripture is like one of the, is the most honest book that you could ever re- read, because God tells us the good and the bad and the ugly. And so uh, this morning, I want to pick that story up, because most of us would think, well, that is kind of like, uh, uh, I don't think that's very good for church growth, is it, Chris? That kind of a service, uh, that, that might end it right there, you know? They had a good start, but uh, they didn't finish well because God started killing people. No. Um, the interesting thing is you don't read anywhere else in the Scripture or anyone, I haven't anyway, read anywhere in church history where God repeated that act. It was a one-time thing because God was trying to establish a principle within the early church of His grace and His mercy, but His unwillingness to share His glory with another. And I think if we were to be looking for a 
phrase or a theme throughout the book of, of Acts, and that's where we're going to go this morning. It's this phrase, and we've already seen it once. It says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I want to just say that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, there are two evidences of that coming. There are two evidences uh, beyond the obvious, beyond the speaking in tongues and beyond, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, fresh faith. But there's this courage that comes upon us, courage to be who God has called us to be, and a courage to actually preach a message, and it's the only message that is life-giving. There's, there's many messages that are going out in the world today. Many people have a platform where they're saying this is true and this is true and this is true. And the platforms of men and the messages of men do not give life. There's only one message that gives life, and it's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see that in the early church, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and because of the prayer of the saints who actually asked for boldness and courage, that you see a church rising up who is courageous in its faith and life-giving in its message. And that's my exhortation to us this morning. Where God wants to take you, where God wants to take me in my walk with God, in my walk as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, where He wants to take me is to be courageous enough to proclaim a message that actually gives life. It's the only message that gives life. It's the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see, after this event of Ananias and Sapphira, where we have a contrast given to us by Luke, where he puts on display the generosity of Barnabas, but the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. It says in verse 11 that great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Or we could read it another way, that great awe came upon the church. There was an awe in regards to who this living God was. And the people of God began to honestly assess themselves before the living God. But then in verse 12, we see that this, act, this event actually sparked a revival. And it's amazing to me. I don't know if it's amazing to you, but that kind of a thing, you know, you might want to keep it on the down low that, uh, you know, this is what's happening in church. People are dying. But as a result of what was happening, it says in verse 12, pick it up there with me, it says that through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. In other words, so they continued to meet house to house, but they were also going to the temple where Solomon's porch was. And they were going there during, we know, during the times of prayer, so at least three times a day, morning, noon, and then in late afternoon. And when they would go, they would not only go to engage in prayer, but they would go to engage, the apostles that is, they would go to engage in the preaching of the gospel. And it was a way of life for them. It's how they lived. And it says that many dared not join them. That is, many of the new believers that were part of the church, they were like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And that's what that verse, verse 14, uh, 13 is talking about. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people, that is, the people that were showing up at the temple and listening to the preaching, it says they esteemed them highly Verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. 
multitudes of both men and women. Multitudes. Just turn to your neighbor and go, whoa, multitudes. Multitudes were added to the church. And I'm saying, Lord, I want to see that day again because the book of Acts does not end in the 26th chapter. You are presently living in the book of Acts. You are characters in the book of Acts. And I'm saying, Lord, would you restore the day that where through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the manifestation of signs and wonders, multitudes would be added to the church. Well, that was weak, church. Multitudes added to the church. Think of the people that you know that don't know Christ. And it says, so the people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on the the beds and the couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Now let me just say something about this. You might want to contend with me later about it. But the scripture does not suggest that uh, Peter's shadow healed anybody. It just says that there was such a move of the Spirit, there was such a powerful move of the Spirit, and multitudes and thousands of people were coming to Christ that it was hard for people to get near the apostles, and so there was this reasoning in people's minds, well, since they're moving in such power, maybe even their shadow will heal. Now, I can't say that the shadow didn't heal, but I'm just saying Luke doesn't say it did. It could have, it might have, it possibly happened. But it says, the multitude gathered, and they were coming from the cities outside of Jerusalem, and when they brought the sick people, and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, it says, they were all healed. Through the laying on of hands, the apostles would pray, and people would be healed, and those filled with demons would be set free, and it was just the pattern of the early church. And I'm saying, Lord, restore that to your church today. But it takes a courageous faith, and it takes a willingness to preach a gospel that is life-giving in its nature. See, the thing that I want to stress here is we've not been called to preach our opinions. We've been called to preach the gospel, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus on the earth, the God-man who was the image of the invisible God, who demonstrated for us the character, the nature, and the love of God. We're to talk about the death and the importance of the cross and how it redeems us back to God and how through the resurrection of Jesus Christ there can be life eternal for anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's the message that the early apostles preached and that's why there was so much power in the church. They didn't get into opinion-based messages. They didn't try to follow the facts of the day. They preached the gospel. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, preach the gospel. Come on, give them a high five and say, preach the gospel. Every one of us, according to Scripture, have been commissioned by God Himself to go and make disciples. How do you make a disciple? Preach the gospel. That's how you do it. It's not that hard. And then factor in that you have been empowered by the Spirit of God who lives and dwells within you. You're able to do exactly what we read in Scripture to do. And so this incredible event is happening. 
And so there's a response from the religious people of the day in verse 17. And it says, the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, and they were filled with indignation. Or some of your Bibles might say they were filled with jealousy. Well, what were they jealous about? Well, I'll tell you a couple of things. Number one, all the people were listening to the apostles and they weren't listening to them anymore. That ticked them off. They were losing the crowd. Secondly, the apostles were moving in power that they did not have. And so they were jealous. They were envious at what they could see, but they did not have. And you can think about it in the reasoning of their mind. They're probably thinking, well, you know what? I've done all the law, and I've been this, and I've been that, and I've tried to obey this, and I've tried to be, obey that, and I've done this. and I've done. Why don't I have the power? And it says they were jealous. Indignation, envy filled their hearts. So what did they do? What was their response? They laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. Now this is the first time and the only time that all 12 apostles shared a jail cell. Now I'm thinking to myself, what if you're the town drunk and you're put in a jail cell and all of a sudden these 12 guys who are moving in power and coming out of a, a season of revival, all 12 of them come in your jail cell. Well, number one, you probably sober up real quick. But number two, I'm thinking something. That jail cell must have been an incredible moment. Even before the angel showed up. And so it says that as they're in the jail cell, at night... An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And this is what he said. He said, okay, go back and do what you were doing when you got arrested. That's exactly what he told them to do. He said, let's go back to the temple and speak to all the people. Now, this is, I want you to underline this, and I want you to circle it. This is what you're to do. You are to speak all the words of this life. He says, you have words of life to speak to a lost generation. You have words of life to speak to a dying generation. I'm sending you back in. I'm delivering you out, and I'm sending you back in so that you might preach the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did the early church move in such power? Because she obeyed the Lord and did what he asked her to do. And so it says that when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning. I want you to, to look at that. There's absolute immediate obedience. Think about it. You get, you hang out with Chris Wood. I'm going to paint you a picture. I say, let's go preach downtown Canandaigua. You say, cool, let's do it. We all go down. We're preaching the gospel. People are getting healed, getting saved. They're getting delivered. We're preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. The town fathers say, enough of that. You're all going to jail. We all get sent to jail. We're sitting there thinking, whoa, well, that was fun, but it ended too early. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord shows up and says, everybody out. We got stuff to do. We're not done yet. Now go back doing what you were doing. How many of you would have said immediately, well, Chris, let's think about this. Last time we did what you told us to do, we got in big trouble. 
And I don't want this on my record. I don't want people, you know, next time I go out for a job interview, I don't, I don't want people to say, well, what, what's this issue of you spending a night in jail? What were you doing? I don't want that to be on me. So, so you know what, I'll bow out this time. But that's not what happened. These individuals, the safest at this point, and you're going to see it in the story, the safest place for them to be was in prison. Because as they leave and as they go and as they obey the Lord, it says in verse 21, when they heard it, they entered the temple early in the morning and they taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders and the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now, here's the contrast. Here's another point of contrast. Don't miss it. Luke is wanting you to catch. What does obedience to the Lord look like? Obedience to the Lord looks like this. Apostles being delivered out of prison and immediately going to the place of prayer and the preaching of the Word of God. What does disobedience look like? Disobedience is at the first crack of dawn, you wake up and you start planning how you're going to put the gospel message to death. See, these Pharisees and Sadducees, where should they have been? Scheming in regards to how they were going to put down this fresh move? Trying to crush the early church because their popularity was... Where should they have been? They should have been in the temple praying. They should have been in the temple seeking the Lord. No, they were having their meeting. They were having their plan. They were having they were assessing the situation. What are we going to do now? And I think I think Luke wants us to see the stark contrast in regards to following and being led by the spirit as to, as opposed to being led by our religious upbringing. And so it says that they sent and the officers came and they went to the prison. I love this part. This, this part. I'm, I'm so glad that Luke didn't leave this out. And it says they returned and they reported saying, indeed, we found the prison. In other words, they're saying, we found the right place. We went to the prison where you imprisoned them. We found it. And guess what? It was shut up securely. The doors were locked and the guards were there. But what we didn't find were the people that you put inside. Everything looked well and in order until we opened the prison door and we found out that the people that you put there were not there anymore. And so they sent for the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard all of these things and they were thinking, you know, what is the outcome? What is this going to be? And then it says an unnamed person shows up at their early morning meeting where they're scheming and says, hey, you know those guys you were looking for that you thought you kept in the prison? They're back where you took them from. They're back in the temple, and they're preaching the word of God. And so it says the camp captain went out, and they brought them in without violence this time. Why? Because they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Now, why would Luke include that? I personally believe he included that because what was happening is this group of people now were listening to words of life. And their hearts were getting set free. And they were being healed and delivered and added to, added to the church. 
And in contrast to the message that they were hearing from the Sadducees and the Pharisees, which was law, do this and don't do that, do this and don't do that, they were hearing a message that was liberating their hearts, and they were tuned in. They were focused in. They were saying, give us more. Tell us more about the kingdom of God. Tell us more about the ways of God. And so they were tuned in. And it was almost like they sneak in and they plucked the apostles out without any violence because the people were so thoroughly engaged in the message. And I believe that the same will happen when we faithfully preach the word to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family. If we're preaching words of life, I guarantee you people will engage and they will listen. You preach your opinion, don't expect people to engage and listen. They'll push back, they'll challenge. But you preach the words of life. The gospel of Jesus Christ and people engage, they will listen. And that's what I think happened here. And so anyway, they take them out and they bring them back in. And this is what they say. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, you're blaming us for the death of Jesus. And they're going, "Uh uh-huh. Yes, we are. Now, They say, your message is filling the city. I want you to think about what is transpired in just a short period of time. On the day of Pentecost, how many people, are we told, came to the Lord? 3,000 people. And then when the lame man is healed, a few thousand more. And then we're told multitudes are being added to the church. Some estimate at this point of the early growth of the church that there could have possibly been at least 10,000 people in the early church. Now, think about it. You're going, well, you know, Jerusalem's a big city. Yeah, but back then it didn't have the population that it has today. Most historians say when this was taking place, the population of Jerusalem was between 40 and 50,000 people. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. Let's take the big number, 50,000 people. Of the 50,000 people who lived in Jerusalem, 10,000 of them were new believers. I'm telling you, that city was getting rocked. Things were changing in that city because there was this emergent group of people who were coming forth with a new message. And when they preached it, life was released and people were getting saved and healed and delivered from things that the old religious system had nothing to do with. The city was being changed. And I want to suggest that, that our cities need to be changed. And activism is good, and all of those things are good, but nothing will change our city like the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just tap somebody on the shoulder right now gently and say, come on, let's preach the good news. So Peter responded when they say, what what are you doing? And he says, listen, why are you out there again? Why are you doing what we told you not to do? Peter's response and our response to challenge ought to always be this. I ought to obey God rather than man. And I'm telling you there's coming a day where many of us here today, many of us on the live stream are going to be confronted by authority that says, why are you doing what you're doing? And your only response is going to be, 
It's better to obey God than to obey man. That day's coming. And we need to be ready for it, and we need to be the church that God's called us to be. And what do they do? They say, here it is. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by the hanging of a tree. They're preaching the cross. Him God has exalted to his right hand. They're preaching the resurrection. And he gives repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We're witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So they preach the simple gospel. They preach the cross. They preach the resurrection. And they preached how to be saved. Now there are four things in this scripture that I think we can draw out very easily and very quickly in way of application that will help us to understand what takes place when the church is on the move. The first two are super positive. The last two you might interpret as negative, but they're positive too. So here are the four causes that happen when the church is moving, when she's moving in obedience, when she's doing what God has called her to do. Number one, write this down. There is a manifestation of the power of God always. When you and I move in obedience, when we move together corporately in obedience to the Lord, there will always be, attending our obedience, a clear manifestation of the power of God. How many of you want to see miracles? Come on. How many of you want to see deliverances? How many of you want to see the gospel go forth in power and through the demonstration of the Holy Spirit? It's always there. Wherever there is a people who are moving in obedience, and I'm calling us to be that people. I'm saying, can we be the people, Zion Fellowship? Can we be the people, those who are on the live stream? Can we be the people who say in the spirit, in spite of, of, of exterior pressure, we're going to stand up and we're going to announce very clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and His return. Let's proclaim it with absolute courage and absolute surety with the expectation that attending that preaching will be signs and wonders. Everybody says, well, Chris, why aren't we seeing signs and wonders? My response to that is, why aren't we seeing the preaching of the gospel? We want the signs and wonders. How many of you want that? I do. But it doesn't come without the preaching of the gospel. You got me? And when we say we want signs and wonders, many of us are, are talking about we want to see physical healings. Listen, I'll take physical healings every day, but what I really want to see is I really want to see captives set free. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. To who? To those who are brokenhearted, to those who are captive, to those who are bound by sin. Listen, the greatest healing that you and I could ever see manifest in our eyes is the, the deliverance of a sinner into the pathway of righteousness. So I'll take physical healing all the time. But even more than that, I want to see captives set free. I want to see the anointing on each one of us in such a degree, in such power, because we are clearly standing on the ground that there is no other message that we're going to preach but the message of Jesus Christ. I want to see an anointing released on the church today that will set captives free and brokenhearted people will find hope again. 
Come on, we're living in a day and an hour that people are brokenhearted. They've lost hope. And guess who has the message of hope? Look to the person to your right. They do. Look to the person to your left. They do. Look at yourself. You do. Say, say it with me. I have a message that brings hope. And that same anointing that rested on Jesus, guess what? It rests on you. You say, Chris, how do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit is on you. He's not only on you, He's in you. So let the anointing out. Some, come on, turn to your neighbor and say, let the anointing out. Come on, don't bottle it up. Don't keep it for yourself. Don't keep it for your private prayer times. It's good there. Don't bottle it up. Let there come forth in this hour in the city of Canandaigua, in the county of Ontario, a clear demonstration of the power of God. That's the first thing you see. The second thing, and I love this. Get this now. The word of the Lord cannot be imprisoned. See, the answer of natural man always to a bunch of radical Christians is put them in jail. That'll shut them up. You cannot jail the word of God. You say, well, give me an example. The Chinese church. The church in China. People were getting thrown in prison for the preaching of the gospel. You know what they did when they got thrown in prison? They didn't moan and groan. They preached to the prisoners in the jail. More people were getting saved in jail than out of jail. You cannot hinder the living word of God. People can tell you don't say it. People can tell you shut up. People can tell you you can't preach that anymore. But I'm telling you in obedience to the spirit of God, preach the word. There's a commission on your life. Come on, lay hands on your head. Say, there's a commission on my life to preach the Word of God. It cannot be jailed. It cannot be bottled up. It can only be bottled up by you. And if you keep it on the inside and you don't share it with other people, you're just being selfish. Come on, somebody, somebody amen me there. You've got words of life. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Come on, who knows the rest of it? Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captive free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Somebody spring up. Oh, well. Within my soul, spring up. Oh, well. And make me whole. Spring up, oh well. And give to me that life eternally. It cannot be bottled up. And they put them in prison. And I'll tell you, every time that natural man tries to imprison you, God will send an angel your way. He'll get you out. No reason to fear. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a place called Vladivostok. It's in Russia. I don't recommend that you ever take a vacation there. It's a seaport that housed the Pacific Naval Fleet of the Russian Army or Navy. And so we went in with Patricia Blue, and we had an assignment. We were going to train a number of Russian leaders, this was just after 
the, the wall came down and the, the nation of Russia opened up to the gospel. And so I went in with my father-in-law and with Patricia and we went in and we did uh, a couple of weeks of ministry amongst the leaders. But when we came into the country, we were met, my father-in-law and myself, we were met by the KGB right there. They say, what's your purpose in being here? And I said, well, my purpose is to go hang out with some friends. And they said, well, what are you going to do when you hang out? And I said, oh, I don't know. We'll talk about some stuff. We'll teach some stuff. They said, are you gospel preachers? And I said, well, yes, I am. I'm, I'm a preacher. And they said, we need your passport then. So I just gave them my passport. I'm like, maybe they just want to look at it. And they said, we're going to keep these the entire time, and it will be up to us whether we give it back to you or not. And so I looked at my father-in-law, and I, he looked at me, and my father-in-law is who mentored me in the faith. And he looked at me, and he said, we're in it now. He goes, we're in it now. I'm like, we're in what? So we spent the week. We forgot about that encounter. We, we, we just spent the week trusting God. Preaching the word of God, doing what God had asked us to do, and on the day that we were supposed to leave, the authorities had not returned our passports to us yet. And we were on the way to the airport, and I looked at our host and I said, you do understand that I'm not getting out of your country without a passport. He goes, oh, we're going to take care of that. And so I said, well, good. And so he says, we're stopping by where they have your passports, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to talk to the authorities. And we're going to see what happens. And so we show up. He says, you guys stay in the car. And he goes in. And I, and I tell you this story because it just amazed me at the miracle working power of God. And the wisdom that God gave that man in a moment of time. And so he goes in and he says, I'm here for the passports of Chris Wood and John Bankowski. And the man in authority says, I don't think I'm going to give them to you. I've, I've heard what you've been doing at that retreat center, and I, I don't think that that's a lawful thing that you've been doing. I, I don't think I'm going to let these guys out of this country. And so the man looked at him and he said, you know what you're doing? He says, you're withholding the passports of two very influential men who have been speaking into the lives of young leaders in our nation who are also influential men. And I think that if you withhold giving them their passports back, you're going to get in a great deal of trouble because of the importation that they've brought to our nation. And he says the man looks at him and handed him the passports and told them and told him to tell us he was so very sorry for the inconvenience that he had caused us. I mean, how does that happen with such a simple conversation Unless it's the presence of God coming in and opening the prison door. So I just say to you, you never know when an angel is going to be sent your way. So just stay obedient. Do what God has asked you to do and don't fret the little stuff. Someone asked me, are you ever going back to Vladivostok? I said, no. I'm notorious there now. And so you have two things happening and I've got two more and I'm done and then we're going to water baptize. So you've got a clear demonstration of the power of God. Secondly, you've got the word of the Lord that cannot be restrained. You see it all throughout the book of Acts. It's happening over and over and over again. Clear demonstration of power. The word of God cannot be restrained. 
what always happens, and these are two things that you might hear as negative, but they're actually positive. When those two things are happening, two things will attend it. Opposition and suffering. Ooh, it got real quiet just then. There was incredible opposition to the preaching of the Word of God. And to this day, there's incredible opposition to the preaching of the Word of God. But least you misinterpret what that's all about. The reason the Lord allows that is to teach you and to teach me that our opposition is not with flesh and blood. But there's principalities and powers in very high places. There's demonic activity happening even over this place today that seeks to still and quiet the church of Jesus Christ. There will always be opposition. You cannot go out and preach the Word of God without there being opposition. It's what you do when opposition comes. That's so, so important. And attending opposition will always be a measure of suffering. And the early church, Peter said it. He said, listen, don't be surprised by the fiery trial that comes on your life because you're living in obedience to Jesus. People will oppose you. Things will oppose you. Situations will oppose you. But there are principalities and powers at work even here today that seek to oppose any move of the Spirit of God. And we've just got to get used to it. And remember and learn how to rise up and be who God has called us to be. And I love what happens. It says that they are told one more time, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And then it says, and then they were flogged. That flogging, folks, was a serious beating. Those guys, those apostles, all 12 of them were given a serious beating. Why? Because they preached the gospel and they said, listen, we can't obey you. We've got to obey God. Serious suffering came on their life. And what does it tell us in the text? You can read it. It says they went from that place of opposition and suffering rejoicing because they had suffered for Jesus. There is something in the heart of the individual who really knows God that when suffering comes your way, you don't shrink back. You rise up, encourage faith, and do what God has called you to do. Amen and amen. We hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God today. Again, this podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. If you'd like to learn more about us, find us at our website at zionfellowship.net or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, feel free to give us a call at 585-394-7450. Blessings to you as you continue in your day.